Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. It's that time of the week again where you, dear listener, have chosen to click play on the Driven Chat Podcast. And for that, I thank you very much indeed. I hope this isn't your first show and you've been a listener for some time. If it is your first show, welcome. Hi, I don't talk for too long. Worry not. We have two superstars that do. One of them is a man called John Marker. Hello, John. Hi, Andy. And hello, listener. And the other one is a lady called Amy Shaw. Hello, Amy. Hello, that is me. Hello to you and to anyone that is listening. So you will know if you're a regular listener and you won't know if you're a newbie, but we'll just explain how this works. Since the old lockdown 3.0, John, Amy and I have had to do these little intro bits remotely. And then not all of us get to have the big interview with the big star because for various reasons, technical or otherwise, we just found it works better with a couple of us. Uh, and the guest rather than all of us. Otherwise, it might better get a bit cloudy and difficult, actually, for John to edit with all the voices <laughs> and so on. That's the main thing, isn't it, John? It is. So what we sort of do, you know, you know, on those classic game shows with the big wheel that slowly spins and you wonder, is it going to land on apples, pears or pounds or, you know, into jail or whatever? Well, basically, we've got a big wheel with a picture of Amy's face, my face and John's face. And we spin the wheel and see who gets to chat to the guest this week. And... <laughs> This week, it landed on Amy and John. Guys, tell me who you're talking to. Yeah, so this week, we uh, it's, it's a big photography episode this week, which, interestingly, we've had a lot of people talking to us on social media, sending us messages, asking lots of, uh, asking for this type of conversation, which is really exciting. So we've got GF Williams, George Williams, who is um, 
very, very well known, especially via his social media feeds, as being a photographer that covers a lot of new car manufacturer content. So uh, George gets paid to fly around the world and capture brand new cars, often either at the point of them being launched or before they're launched, or just as the manufacturer wants to promote the hell out of this particular car on their social media feeds. Uh, George is one of the lucky people that gets to do that and is a, is a very, very talented photographer. So I kind of took a back seat on this one because, of course, I'm sat next to... Well, I mean, it sounds Amy like a Shaw. really cool job, John, and I, I do know someone out of the trio here that, that is, you know, used to doing that. I, of course, yeah. am regularly sent, because of my camera skills, I'm quite often sent forwards. And I you know, admire you. Amy, <laughs> Amy, as we all know, is the greatest living photographer ever, and she's one of ours. Hurrah! So I'm really genuinely thrilled to be able to hear what two people at the top of their game have to say to each other. It was, it was a good chat. I enjoyed it. Um, George and I have known each other for not as long as I think you two have known each other, John. Mm. Um, but we and probably met about six years ago, and we did a very, we didn't talk about this in the podcast, a very boring shoot with a very boring Lexus and a Toyota Igo around London. So, um, yeah, that was the extent of our exciting car photography career together. Um, <laughs> but the very first time I met him is I went to go and a, uh, see him in a photography uh, club chat. So this is where, like, all these usually slightly older generation men and women come together because they really like photography and they try and learn about photography from other photographers. So I went to one of these like chats. A seminar. And, to, yeah, to watch George. So I learned my first things to do with car photography from George. So that's how we met, <laughs> right at the very beginning that's of my cool. career. So did you look like the work experience guy <laughs> showing up? <laughs> I just stood at the back in the, the dark corner near the, the biscuit <laughs> tin. <laughs> well, what I will say, actually, is if, if you are, if you, the listener, are an aspiring photographer and you, like so many people, want that kind of first bits of advice. So I'm, I'm now picturing Amy sitting in the seminar chair, <laughs> ready to listen to the photographers speak. Um, this episode is going to be great for you because we do get to a point where we do give that advice, you know, mm -hmm. the, the starting out advice or the passion advice. Um, so yeah, I hope that a lot of people will get a lot from this episode, uh, especially if, if taking up photography, either as a hobby or as a career, uh, or just something you want to improve, um, if that's on your radar of things to achieve in the next year or so, then then this could be a good one for you. Can we throw out um, a little test? Mm. I'd love to do this. I've no idea if people go for this or not, but I'm absolutely intrigued. I have a suggestion, which is, of course, that everybody that has an interest in taking pictures of cars, perhaps for social reasons, you know, for social media, Instagram or whatever, everybody can be like really excited when they take a cool picture of their car, right? Or of a car they see or whatever. It's just cool. You want to get it up on social because you, you're proud of it, right? Mm -hmm. So can I can I please request, dear listener, if this is you, if you fall into the category of someone that has ever uploaded a photograph of a car onto your <laughs> social feed or, have, or has ever wanted to, could I propose that you pause this episode now, go and take a photograph of your car now, then listen to the episode and take a better photograph of your car, <laughs> having heard the advice, and put the two up together, the before and the after. I would suggest you make the after the main page, because I'm <laughs> hopefully that's going to be a better shot. Although, mindful the light would have changed after an hour or so. Well, I'm sure you'll have a bunch more things. And I'm obviously changed the angle, but let's make it the same car. I'd be really interested to hear the shot that you take before listening to two rock stars' advice, and then the shot that happens after you've heard their their feedback. Their I'd love to see that. And then maybe, perhaps, if you're really lucky, 
Amy might even like throw a comment on your you know what? <laughs> if, on your images. Yeah, I'm, I'm roping you into this. Do Amy. it. Tag Driven Chat and tag me in it as well, and I'll have a look. But um, you know what? I don't actually think we went through too many technical details of how to take better pictures of cars. But if True. people have done what you've just said to do, Andy, and paused it then, and now they're listening again now. I can now give a couple of extra tips, which you can then be added on from the chat with George as well. So if I say to you, Great. go back outside and photograph at headlight height rather than your standing height, and also give your, your subject a bit more room, so give a bit more space of, of the location around the car, don't just crop straight in the car, those two things there initially will give you a better photograph. So uh, yeah, at the end of this podcast, get on what George says as well, and uh, let's see your pictures. Tag Driven Chat and Amy Shop Photography. Thanks. I'd love it. Even if just three or four people do that, I'd yeah. love to see the results. I'd be absolutely intrigued. What do you think, John? You're the, you're the man of mystery when it comes no, to I, what happens on social feeds. Do you think people will do it? I like it. I, I, I want people to do it. I, yeah, I'd be intrigued to see that. I think um, it is fascinating what just a couple of, like even what you've just said there, Amy, can make such a massive difference. Mm. Because of course, it, it's, so, it's so easy to just walk outside and hold the camera as you are standing up, see the car in the screen, click, take picture, done. But yeah. by taking just two or three minutes more, change the angle, change the height that you are, it can it can really transform it. And there are so many, you know, so many occasions. I, I know plenty of friends that take amazing photographs with iPhones or whatever phone they're using. And people often ask, you know, what camera have you used for that, or what lens have you got there? And it's like, no, it's just a phone. It's just about taking that extra time to mm-hmm. get something a bit more thought out. Yep. Totally By agree. the way, there is absolutely no judgment on the car that you photograph. <laughs> absolutely oh, no, none absolutely, whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. We won't be doing that. We won't we won't be assessing how clean the car is or what the driveway's like that it's on or whatever. It's simply a photographer's eye, i.e. Amy's eye, <laughs> on whether on whether the one that has her tips included is a better shot. I would vouchsafe it will be. It'd be I worrying well. if it was a really bad and shot. Before we dive into the conversation with George, on the subject of audience interaction, and this is, I'm talking to you, the listener here, um, we, we have a new way for you to get in contact with us. And let's, we'll, we'll do this separately to so the photography thing. Um, but we have finally, I think I talked about this about five months ago, but we never actually did it. We've finally done it. You can now email us. We have an email address just for you. Ooh, and it's, you. it's nice and easy. <laughs> it's simply podcast at drivenchat.com. Now, the reason that I'm giving you that email address is because we would love, because we do get a lot of interaction with you from messages, from comments, um, across all the platforms that we're on. Uh, But in a good few weeks' time, what we'd like to start doing is hosting episodes where we essentially answer the questions that you want the answers to. So it might be, it could be as generic as you like. It's ultimately, if there's a part of the industry you want to know more about, if there's photography questions you want to ask Amy about, if there's TV production side of things you'd like to know about, if there's, you know, those questions that you just have always wanted to ask the right person, like TV producer and presenter Andy J, for example. We're here to... No one's, no one's emailing for me. Oh, they will. I bet you <laughs> yeah, they will. No, no, no. And that's, and that's, unless it's nasty things. Uh, no, no, Podcast no. at drivenchat.com is absolutely your one-stop shop for asking Amy and John anything <laughs> and about and cars and photographs and all sorts of things. No, we would we'd genuinely love to hear from you. And as John has just said, your questions about 
life in the industry, I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. Like magazines. Remember when magazines used to have uh, readers' questions and they'd like, you know, dear sir. And you, <laughs> you, the editor would write back about oh, why you shouldn't buy a Ford Cortina over a Vauxhall Amiga or something like that, you know. Um, but so, you know, treat us as your sounding board. What would you like to know? What would mm-hmm. you like us to talk about? Um, and yeah, who would you like to have on as a guest? Because if we get a load of emails saying, get on so-and-so, we, it gives us justification to hound them and go, look. You are wanted. Thousands of people want you on our podcast, so come yeah. on. Mickey Toilet Face. You've got to get Mickey Toilet Face Mickey. on the show. <laughs> Everyone's asking for him. <laughs> Mickey Toilet Face. Brilliant. So, look, I'm really excited. I'm going to go and take a photograph of my car now anyway, because at least there'll be one. So. <laughs> <laughs> I might throw in a photograph or two as well. Yeah, you could you could chuck a few up. <laughs> yeah, listen, enjoy this. I can't wait. I haven't heard this one yet, so I'm really excited to hear it myself. Super. Here we go. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And here we are with photographer G.F. Williams, otherwise known as George Williams, or in my world, Jeff Williams. <laughs> I, I should have known that was coming. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> pleasure, pleasure. Right, I'm here sat remotely with Amy Shaw and we've got George via the powers of FaceTime. It's a wonderful thing. Again, we are recording remotely as always and I think as we will be for quite some time. But I thought I'd reach out to George to see how he's getting on. And of course, to bring in another photography angle to our podcast world, because of course we have Amy Shaw, who's sat beside me. Hello, Amy. Hello, John. How are you doing? I'm very well. Very, Um, very well. George, how are you doing? I'm very good. I'm enjoying my time at the moment. This this is good in in lockdown and taking a bit easier, because you must be all over the world all the time when it's not you know, global pandemic. Yes, I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> has, has life changed quite dramatically then over the last year for you? Uh, yes, and part of that is because I bought a house yep. and uh, Proper that turned into stuff. a bit of a project. <laughs> yeah, yeah, life has changed a lot because I used to be flying around the world pretty much non-stop, as you guys know. Mm. And now I now I have not. Now you are a um, sensible homeowner that stays at home in your new home all the time. Yeah, well, sensible maybe not so much, but, but I'm a homeowner. <laughs> Amazing. So, I mean, you and John have known each other now for, what, how, how long? Oh, it must be. I was thinking about this before our call started. Did we meet through the world of Gumball 3000? I think we must have done. 
that probably was the first time I met you. Yeah. Yeah. So that was 2013. I did it. Right. So yeah, perfect. So that was my that was the first year that I was on the organising side of things. So yes, we we would have met then. Uh, both of us a lot younger and fresher than we are <laughs> now. Clearly. Yeah, I think I was below the minimum age to actually enter Gumball. <laughs> <laughs> and yet there you were as a photographer. Um, so yeah, try, we've try. we've known each other a while. You guys, Amy and. George, you've known each other a few years well, as well, haven't you? Just before our uh, little chat here, I had a search through my old emails to see if I could find when exactly you and I met. And it turns out, according to my little piece of paper, we met on the 7th of January 2014 when I came up to Nottingham because you were doing a talk to a photography society that I was not part of. And I was like, oh, Fiverr to go and see this car photographer bloke, I'll go and see what that's all about. So uh, yeah, I came to see one of your talks at a photography society. And that was the first and last talk I ever did. (laughs) (laughs) I learned loads from that. That was really good, like really interesting for me to see because I, so at that time I'd only been shooting cars for less than six months or something like that at that point. So to see you shooting cars, you, you told me everything I know. So, oh, wow, <laughs> no. God, feel a bit of a third wheel. Here. <laughs> but like, when it comes to the Photoshop side of things, especially, like, I had no idea how things worked. So, genuinely, you were the first insight for me to see how photoshopping car photography stuff and using you know, rigs and whatnot worked. So, uh, so yeah, that was a little while ago. So can you give us a bit of a story about how you got to that first and last talk and then what's kind of happened since that last talk? Like most photographers, I think, I started just doing photography for fun. Uh, I was about 16 at the time and my dad had a Catrum 7. And if I'm honest, I just wanted to move it around the driveway. So <laughs> photography was an excuse to move the car, take pictures. I I must have taken thousands of photos of the car on the driveway. Um, (laughs) After a while, I got a bit bored of that. I wanted to go and take pictures out on location. And I went to good old Piston Heads and said, uh, does anyone want some photos of their car? And a few people said yes. Uh, With hindsight, 16-year-old kid asking random men on the internet if they want photos of their car, maybe a bit (laughs) weird. Um, But it definitely progressed me and I learned a lot about photography and a lot of trial and error. Um, From that, I decided to go off to uni. Uh, I started a degree in computer science. It was not for me. And actually that was, I was in Nottingham where I did it. So that was a sort of link with Nottingham and why I was there. Um, But during that one year at (laughs) university, uh, photography built up more and more and more. I got some bigger clients, which looking back, are still very small clients, but it was a start. And I had to make a choice. Do I want to do photography or do I want to play on computers all day? And I made the decision to drop out of uni, go and do photography, kind of pursue it as much as I can. And I was of the opinion that I would give it a year, see how it goes. And since then, I have progressed with my career luckily, built it up, got some better and better clients. There have been a few key moments in my career. Um, I think the McLaren P1 shoot, the prototype, was probably the biggest in terms of recognition and being known and that opened a lot of doors and started new opportunities. Um, Awesome. Yeah, and then it's just... 
So there'll be gone from there. there'll be a lot of people that will be listening to this right now with a, um, a very, who may be at a very similar stage in their life. They have aspirations to pursue a career in something they really like. I get a lot of messages from people uh, asking about the events industry or journalism industry, asking you know how how do I get into it? How do I make something of it? Um, if I can take you back to that time, that kind of leap or faith moment, I'll give myself a year to see if this works, kind of thing. Can you remember what the emotions were that were running through your head? Do you did you have much of a safety net if it all didn't work out? What was your plan if it wasn't going to work? I'd like, you know, to, just for the benefit of the people that are listening that perhaps are at that stage now where they think, Do you know what, I am, I, I'm studying or I'm working towards this degree in something that I'm not a hundred percent sure that I want to do. Which, by the way, is completely normal. It's the mm-hmm. sole reason that I personally did not go to university because I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grow up and I still don't. Um, what would you say, um, what was that process like for you? Was it uh, was it scary? Was it something you were kind of I mean, of course about? it was scary. It's not something that you ever expect and you feel a little bit of a failure when that happens, mm-hmm. when you leave your degree, when my brother and sister have both got degrees. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of the odd one out in the family. But where I was quite lucky is that my parents supported me through it. Mm. Um, they let me come and live back at home with them. And I was there for another three, four years because I was earning very little money. Um, and I just kind of had to stay positive. And when it is your ultimate passion and you just really want to do it, you will make it happen. If you want it enough, you'll make it happen. Mm-hmm. It. I see people that try and do similar and potentially don't want it enough or maybe don't have quite the passion or underlying ability that really struggle and don't really progress it forward. And I think you've got to just push yourself with everything you have to get to that next stage. And just what I do is I just aim to get a little bit forward, improve myself, never quite happy with my pictures even now. Um, I look back at the old ones and think they're terrible. Um, And yeah, just always trying to improve. And I think where I am quite different to Amy is I'm very much a technical photographer Mm -hmm. as opposed to an arty photographer. So See, now I, I really, I could not do what you do because it involves so many decisions being made. And I, I mean, I, I, maybe it's just a female thing. We cannot make decisions. So to have the <laughs> the need to make every, like all of your pictures are completely thought through from, or I guess completely thought through from the location to the angle of the car to the focal length that you're going to use, how you're going to edit, day, night, whatever. You have full control over those images. And that to me sounds scary as hell. Like, I, I, as you said, we're, we're very different because I'm like, throw me into that situation, I'll do what I can. And it, yeah, just hope for the best really and you have got this ability to be able to create something from nothing which I think is a a massive amazing skill so do you ever get like not necessarily nervous but like what what is it about when you're creating your own images do you come up with a concept first or do do the clients come to you and say all right this is what we've got in mind how does how does that process work when working with clients initially for those initial ideas I mean I'm sure you're aware that every single shoot is different Mm -hmm. so no one formula fits all But having said that, my way of photography is a bit of a formula. So I know which elements will work with what. So if I put a bit of flash on the car here, I know how it's going to react and I know how the light works in certain conditions and what camera settings I need. 
and like the camera side of stuff I do without even thinking as I'm sure you do um, and it just kind of becomes this formula that all comes together um, to give me the elements I need for the finished product um, and I say the elements I need because sometimes it'll be a hundred shots um, that you put to get one hmm. so it, it's a slightly strange way of thinking and I rarely get a chance to explain it to people and how it all works and one day I will do some tutorials to sort of explain this formula a bit more. Um, but in terms of client briefing, that what normally happens more on the commercial side of things is the client will come to me and say, look, we've got this car, it needs shooting. Uh, we're thinking this kind of a location. And then you'll maybe have a bit of input on the location. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, and you'll just go through the hoops to get to what you actually want it to be and then the reality comes in you have a production and you've got to make it happen um, and of course everything's always against you and you've got to actually make it happen so yeah you've got to work quickly and use your time wisely mm -hmm. what was the um what was the transformation like from those early stages to i'm guessing like many people in in this industry whether be it photography or film or even journalism to a to a certain extent you have to spend a bit of time shadowing first, don't you? You're often a photographer's assistant or you'll be there as a, an intern, kind of, right, you stand in the corner and watch how we do it and, and then eventually you'll have your own turn. And um, what was that? Did you have that kind of, did you have to go through that stage? And if so, what was the transition period to the point where you realised, oh, I'm actually in control of this now? So I never did shadowing or assisting oh, cool. or anything like that. Um, so I've learned everything from trial and error which I'm not sure is the best way. <laughs> and I've done a few things in my career where they were potentially quite ambitious for my skill level and experience level. Uh -huh. um, but I've always just thought, what's the worst that can happen? And I'll give them a go. And that's when you ultimately learn the most. And that's normally what helps you step up to the next level in your career. Yeah or makes you decide you don't want to be at that level. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I, I have to say from my perspective, again, it's it, same industry, but a different angle. So for me, it's always been around the events, event production side of things and um, yeah, creating live experiential events, et cetera, et cetera. The usual pattern for that would also be you go and work for somebody as a junior, and then you work your way up. Much like yourself, I was often thrown in at the deep end with certain projects uh, or ideas or campaigns and it was just a case of well I just need to figure this out and and I think you're right I think often a lot of people will say that's not the right way to do it because you need a guiding eye but there's so much to be said for just figuring things out on your own you, you hear from so many business owners or creatives that just have a go at something and often when you haven't got that rule book to follow when you haven't got that step by step it needs to this 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 and needs to happen for you to then do that uh, often your own kind of creative flair can make it so much better. So is the, does that include things like um, the ARCA effects, like Photoshop editing, that sort of stuff? Is that all self-taught as well? Yeah, so it is. But with Photoshop, it's a bit different to with the photography side of things because with Photoshop, I taught myself Photoshop from the age of 15, 16. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty awful at it. <laughs> and I made a conscious decision of... I'm going to go back and I'm going to learn to do it properly and I'm going to learn all the correct processes because, I mean, Amy will understand this. I was doing 
all destructive workflow. Okay. So I was just flattening the images every time and all the layers. And it means you can't go back and fix things at a later date. And it's really not a good way to work if you are working for a big client uh, or on a bigger campaign. It just doesn't really work. So I went back, I relearned things. I learned to cut things out properly with the pen tool because I was using the lasso and like silly little things like that. I went back and relearned that process. And that was a really important thing because if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be able to shoot a lot of the stuff that I do now. That's that's a that's a nice way to look at it. And was that through like online courses, or did you go through uh, just was it a good old fashioned reading? What was your process for that? A uh, bit of YouTube. It, it was more. So what, the way I learn is more. I try and work out what I'm missing uh -huh. and what's wrong, and then I'll specifically go for that one thing and sort of piece it all together mm -hmm. because I understand the process of what I need. Um, and Photoshop's a really weird program in a way because you can do anything about a hundred different ways. Mm. And so loads of people have a different process to get to exactly the same result. Mm. Um, and it's finding that right way for you. And there technically is no right or wrong in it, but there are better or worse. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I've seen that firsthand. You know, I, my the level of Photoshop that I use is a, is, a, is a fraction to what you do. But there's so many times I've found myself sharing offices or hot desking and doing a process that to me is very natural on Photoshop and then seeing somebody else do exactly the same thing but in a completely different way and going, oh, bloody hell, that's a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> that's so much easier and vice versa. Uh, so yeah, well, I had an interesting experience with Adobe actually. Um, so they called me up and said, can you help us with a new feature we're doing? And... I basically ended up spending several hours in Photoshop screen sharing whilst Photoshop developers watched me edit. Oh, wow. Um, and they didn't give me any input. They just wanted to see how, because I'm self-taught, I naturally do stuff mm -hmm. and what's intuitive. Um, and then they asked me to show them virtual rig um, <laughs> and basically copied that feature. Um, but, yeah, it was really fascinating that, the way the developers of Photoshop saw it, there's no right or wrong in their eyes either. It's just about being enabling it for the various creatives. Gotcha. How interesting. So when so for people that are listening who might be thinking, I want to get into car photography or just want a bit of, of more of an understanding of how you work, you mentioned a minute ago that some of your photographs have got a hundred bits of photographs all together into one image. Can you explain, for somebody who doesn't understand Photoshop, what that entails, <laughs> if you can do that? <laughs> yeah, so this is when lighting a car, really, and there's lots of different elements of the car, and having the light in one position won't always highlight the car in the best possible way. Um, I do try and shoot a lot of natural light nowadays, because lighting gets a bit tedious um, but if you're doing a commercial shoot and you need to show a certain curve on the car because the designer likes it and they also want to highlight this part of the car like a grill um, you have to take the best angle for every part and combine it in the most natural way possible ultimately um, so what I do is I use one light and I move around the car shoot it locked um, and I then load it all into Photoshop 
and select the best bits from every single one of those shots. Oh, I see. So, so um, pardon my ignorance here. I'm very much the the, the non photographer <laughs> within this, is, this group of this three. Is, we need you as this non photographer <laughs> voice. So, is this I, I, the way you describe that? I vision a camera on a tripod, in, a tripod in one fixed position, looking at the car at right. one angle, and you're literally walking around with a light, going click, light a new location, click, light a new location, click. Yes, and what I actually do now is uh, just set a timer so it just does a photo oh, every two seconds. Gotcha. So it's quite a quick process to actually shoot it, which helps. Amazing. And how much of that, as a, again, as a, a non-photographer, but somebody who's acutely aware of how the car marketing world works, how common would you say it is, or if at all, is it that we see as consumers photographs in both magazines or on websites or on you know, advert billboards, where it is literally just a camera that's in front of an object, in this case, let's say a car, shutter goes click, and that's how it gets uploaded. Does that ever happen anymore? Or is everything we see now a collection of 150 different images to make that one still? I'd say that there is, a, in my career, there has been a change of the way that people like to see images. Mm. And there's been more of a sway towards more natural stuff. Um, I think you can get something absolutely perfect off the camera. It is possible. It takes more time and it's a bit of an old school approach. Like if your location isn't perfect, but you can make it perfect in Photoshop with a couple of small tweaks, why would you not? Mm. Um, so it's like, I'm sure for Amy, um, your style is much more natural than mine. Um, but even if you saw something that's really distracting from the car, you just quickly clone it out. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, it's it's always you're always looking to to kind of think what's the best I can make out of this situation. And I suppose it's your sliding scale of how far you want to go with that. So for me, I'm like, eh, I'll just get rid of that like fluorescent person, and that'll be it. Whereas you might be like, I can make this a wicked image. Yeah, it's things like when I shoot in London, for example, mm. and the road is covered in gum, I will get rid of it all because. Oh. It really distracts me and I, I, I'm a bit OCD with certain things and that bugs me. Well, something I found really interesting is on your website, you have got a whole section of retouching and you've got that slider that you mm, can go from fabulous. your... Yes. Oh, that, that I was lost on that page. I was like looking at every bit that you did different. And I was like, oh yeah. That's it. Like, for me, I just don't even think about going to that level of, of editing because for a start, my clients don't need it. Um, it's just different clientele. But it's fascinating to see what you consider, okay, from this situation from this location i know i can make this better because of these things such as editing out every bit of gum that you mm. curse every person that spat out that gum. yeah there's one on there that's uh, i had to take out all the graffiti yes and it was like a seven hour retouch <laughs> because wow. i knew that they could blow it up it was a new car launch for maserati mm. and i knew that it was a i mean it was a huge campaign and one of the pictures ended up on a whole skyscraper Amazing. in uh, Taiwan or Malaysia um, so like the pressure that you've got to get it right uh, and you can't miss a single detail is hugely important so you just you just keep looking at it keep going with it uh, get your team to look over it etc etc so that's amazing yeah. Let's talk about some of those brands that you work with then. So uh, from your you know, humble beginnings as a, a bit of a pretender like so many of us in this world, who are you now, um, who, who can you tick off your list as manufacturers that you've worked for? 
Uh, quite a few, I'm lucky to say. Um, I can probably name a few of my favourites. Uh, Rolls-Royce, they are a great client to work for and I really like their process. They do things properly. Mm. Um, so they're one of my favourite clients. Um, did work for McLaren back in the day, as I'm sure you know with the P1. Yeah, of course. Um, I haven't done anything for them for a while. Um, I, I have ended up specialising in sort of hypercar, supercar launches, um, which has been quite enjoyable. So I launched the Rimac C2. Mm. I launched the Koenigsegg one-to-one, uh, the Dutamazo P72, uh, the Zinger 21C last year. Uh, I did a Geneva shoot for the Zenvo. Did the Apex AP1, which is an electric supercar thing. Um, so yeah, I've got a few under my belt. But uh, like to me, that's the really exciting work is a new supercar that yeah. I get to present to the world for the first time. So the first time someone ever sees that car. It's how I wanted them to see it. Mm. It's a lot of trust that the brand puts in you, mm. um, especially a new brand like Zinger. So that's awesome. That's the really exciting side to me. Yeah, I was going to say. So when, like, sometimes I now know that even though I turn up to shoots and I don't know five years ago I might have been really excited to to get there. For example, with like the Goodwood arrival, it almost starts to lose its edge slightly as you get more used to it, and you're like, oh, it's, it's not the same as last year, but I know what's happening, and you kind of get soft to it. Do you still get that same buzz and excitement when you go to see maybe a, a new car that nobody's seen before, or has it lost the edge at all? Uh, I think it will always be more exciting at the beginning with anything in life, um, but I do still find it very exciting and I do still enjoy it a lot. In fact, this last year of not doing any of the new car launches has been quite difficult mm. because it's a massive change in the way my life is. Um, but yeah, it's it's still very exciting. And when you first see a car that there's no pictures of in the world, mm. you've got to then work out what angles work because not every car is beautiful from every angle, um, especially with these functional hypercars. There's some ugly angles on them <laughs> if you get the angle wrong. Um, and you need to be really careful with that. Um, like the Dutamazo, it is a stunning car. But getting the perfect angle when you're in a studio and you only, I think we did eight shots, like to pick eight angles uh, to show the world and that's it, is actually quite difficult. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about how some manufacturers like to launch their cars. So um, I'm going to use McLaren as a perfect example because within the last few weeks we've just seen the Artura get launched and for whatever reason I was talking to again another good mutual friend of ours George and Amy, uh, Tim Hutton and we were having a brief conversation about why, why is it that so many manufacturers insist on taking their launch photos of cars in an environment that is utterly unrecognisable to anyone that was actually going to buy that car. So the McLaren for example is, is, is photographed beautifully and it's very well lit and it looks fabulous it looks like a fantastic car but it's in a gray room with a gray floor and a gray background and a gray roof there is a a couple of shots they've also released um so you'll you may be familiar if you've seen the car there's a green car and there's a red car that's been released on the the social media feeds and, and a, another reason i'm so okay with this is because another good friend of all of ours al clark uh, was responsible for the launch film of that car so 
The uh, But it seems bizarre that there are a couple of photos that have been shared by McLaren of the red car, which is driving along in a nice desert scene. But the majority of photos that have ended up being shared across social media are all in this grey space. And why are manufacturers doing that? Like, what what is the thought? Is it just to drive all the attention towards the car? What are your thoughts on that? Do you prefer a studio shoot like that, or would you rather get the car out and about in the real world? I think it depends on the car. Um, not every formula is correct for every car. Mm. So going back to the Dutamazo, we shot it in the studio, and... To me, that car was more like art, like sculpture, uh -huh. than it was a normal car. So I think to shoot it in a studio and be in perfect control of the lighting was absolutely ideal for the car. Um, in the With the Zinger shoot, we did both studio and out on location. And because of what the car is, I went for a slightly hyper-realistic feel on the images. Um, but we with the studio stuff, it was quite plain looking because people need to understand this new design, especially if they're potentially not going to see it in person, uh -huh. um, which turned out to be true. Um, then you need to understand the way that the car looks, the different shapes on it. So you're trying to just show them as much as possible without them going, oh, yeah, that's a cool environment. It's sort of just trying not to be distracting. Uh -huh. So I think there's a place for both. I agree with what Tim said to an extent. Uh, and what Tim said was, can't you just push it outside the factory and take some shots? Yeah. So to me, that is press. And then you've also got marketing. Mm. Um, and as a photographer who likes the marketing side more than the press side, if I'm honest, I think it's exciting to do a really cool shoot, not necessarily studio, uh, but like a really cool location with a really cool car is more exciting than just putting it outside the factory and taking some pictures that look like they could have been shot on an iPhone, mm. which I think is what certain press outlets want, yeah. is they just want to see what the car looks like. And that was what you got with motor shows before. You got um, just normal shots that you could go and take yourself, or you had a choice of using the manufacturer's stuff. Mm -hmm. But because we don't have motor shows at the moment, it's a bit more obvious that your media is a bit more controlled by the manufacturer, let's say. Yeah. Do very, you... very well answered. Yes, very well answered indeed. <laughs> um, kind of going on from that, do you think there'll be a point in the future where manufacturers will primarily, especially with, I don't know, COVID or whatever, will say, George, here is some... Well, here's the car. We'll push it outside the factory. You can do what you want with lighting, but we want you to put it on 10 different backgrounds, so we've got 10 different images and you don't ever have to actually end up traveling to these locations with the cars do you think there'll ever be a point in the future where that will be commercial car photography or cgi what are your thoughts on, on those yeah bits? i don't think it will be the photographers they're going to for that mm -hmm. i think they will be going there well they'll either be going to cgi artists or they'll be using their in-house cgi artists because cgi has come a long way if mm -hmm. we're honest um and it's very good now but it still doesn't quite have the character mm -hmm. um and very few CGI artists can actually get a real feel to it. And it's still slightly obvious. Um, and when you see it, especially with the more exotic cars, you go, do you have a real car? Yeah. I'm not so sure you do. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's an area we can talk about because our, as you may or may not be aware, Georgia, our um, 
our, our main primary sponsor for everything that we do is a company called Paramex. Mm -hmm. They are a CGI rendering company. So if you've ever seen the Bentley configurator systems, for example, if you want to go and you know, just for a laugh, as we often all do, go and spec up our new Continental GT in British Racing Green with tan hide interior. Uh, that's their platform. So they they make that that kind of software. And when speaking recently, because I frequently pop into their offices, when speaking to their design team, it's often interesting that the lighting is the one thing that makes it really really hard. It's often the giveaway to a to a car. Um, but I think you know. I'd be fascinated to see how that moves forward because I think as you know if you think about how CGI was even five years ago in comparison to where it is now and we can all predict that within another five years or ten years it's going to be absolutely incredible even computer games we can use that as an example of how how quickly things have progressed I, I do like to think that there will always be an actual photograph of an actual thing um, but yeah as you say certainly in these times we've all seen the GT3, the new 911-992 GT3 that's just been launched again in the past couple of weeks. Um, and a lot of the actual car, a lot of the photographs, the images that were released by Porsche Newsroom were a 992 GT3 in a beautiful dark blue racing around the Monaco circuit. Now, we all know the Monaco yeah, circuit we're, is we're not open. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, uh, yeah, it doesn't take a... Uh, uh, anyone with a degree in investigative journalism to realise that that didn't actually happen. Uh, and yet they were very happy to release those images and say, here's the new car, share it, tell the world, here, yeah, this is what you think. Do you think so that is just think, because of COVID or do you think that might, there might be more of that? I, I think there's a slightly cynical view that we're expecting to have loads of images from every manufacturer. Mm. Why can they not show us five images and here are your five images of our lovely new car. Yeah. Why are you not happy with that? Why do they have to release everything at once? Why can't it be spread out over several several months? Because the cars take a while to arrive. Would you not rather see some fresh new content mm. once a month than a hundred shots all in one go and then you forget about the car until they start arriving at customers? Mm. I, I think we're, we're a bit spoiled in the media sometimes uh, and have high expectations. And I think Porsche, they didn't give us too many images of the new GT3. Uh, they didn't let loads of influencers video it. And I find that quite an interesting strategy. And I'm, I'm not against it. I like that they kept control of it. Mm. Um, McLaren seemed to let absolutely anyone that wanted to video the, what's it called, the Arthur. Yeah. Um, so I think it's... Uh, it, it's different strategies for different brands and I think they both have their place but I, I think we can complain a little bit too much sometimes yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it it must be a real a really hard thing to process when you're a manufacturer and you want to launch your product uh, Singer was a great example of a recent leak where they produced this um, one-off I say in inverted commas and speech marks because Turns out that it's probably not going to be a one-off, and the the guy that commissioned that beautiful off-road 911 um, has given them the rights to actually just go and produce more. So if anyone comes along and says, "Right, here's my pile of cash, you can make another one," but again, that was to so, uh, that was a car that was given to the press 
with a very heavy embargo to say, please don't tell everyone about this until this time. And then, of course, what happened, as, as happens all the time, is somebody in a press office somewhere, whether it was a complete mistake or whether it was done intentionally in order to get a load of views, shared the car before they were supposed to share it. And I think that must be such a painful thing for manufacturers. And I guess that would probably explain the method that Porsche have gone down with the new GT3. It means that nobody's going to see it besides perhaps a few people that might see the lap record car going around. But even that was kind of so jumbled with, wasn't it? It didn't look, it didn't look exactly like the I, car does from the final. I feel like the GT3 wasn't a surprise how it looked. Actually. True. That's a very good point. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. we'd seen Nürburgring mules for probably... Almost two years. <laughs> That's true. And let's be honest, a new 911 comes out, a six-year-old child is going to draw roughly what it's going to look like, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> whether, you, yeah. whether that's a good I, thing or a bad thing, uh, that's, that's for you I to think decide. from the manufacturer side, from talks in the past, sometimes they actually want stuff to leak yeah. because it gets another wave mm -hmm. of excitement. So from slight inside of you, Sometimes the leaks are on purpose, or quite regularly the leaks are on purpose. Oh no, it's out in the open. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> yeah. I've left this door open, guys. Oh, I hope nobody walks in. Oh. I mean, I've been at a manufacturer and they've been taking shots on their phone of a new car to leak. Oh, really? Oh, wow. I'm, guess, I'm <laughs> guessing you're not going to tell us which manufacturer that was, are you? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, they always end up on something like Autocar, that kind of thing, yeah. the pictures. And it's just the person from the press office is chummy with them. I do often so wonder it, that. Autocar is a perfect example, isn't it? Because it's all, that's always the one you see where it's the car in the camo or something like that. And it's like, gosh, that was a, what a co co conveniently <laughs> coincidental time that somebody with a DSLR happened to be standing on the corner of that Alpine mountain pass in mid-January. Yeah, Millbrook. <laughs> 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 let's um yeah. let's talk about the adventuring side of your life because yes. we uh, at the moment we're all longing for more travel and um, you and i have done a fair bit of traveling together um, for various different reasons but let's talk a little bit about the uh, the side of your work that enables you to to travel the world and not necessarily just with manufacturers but with other cool people groups of people and and fun cars yeah so I mean, should we talk about the ones we've done together or just generally? Oh, oh I want to hear about your, your bromance together through the years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess the first few uh, bouts of travelling we did together, I would have been very busy working, I guess. Is, is yeah, I mean, I didn't really see you on the gumball much. No, because I would have been um, frantically putting out fires somewhere or chasing down people yes. that had got lost, that sort of stuff. But yeah, we... Yeah, giving, we us, giving us the wrong route instructions, that kind of nonsense. stuff. Nonsense. That definitely wasn't me. That was, that was <laughs> definitely somebody else. <laughs> um, but we, I guess, the first the first proper adventure that we went on together was a... Um, it was the pre-production launch of the Mercedes E63 S AMG. And it was so pre-production yeah, so... that when it rained, it rained inside the car, which I thought was incredible <laughs> for a brand new car. <laughs> Yes, and we, we couldn't find the on-off switch for the screen for about four days. Um, but yeah, this this trip was quite a fun one, actually, wasn't it? Because the car, car's mega. Yeah. Um, but more to the point, it was in an amazing place, and you had to make it slightly more exciting by missing your flight out there. The, fir um, the first time in my life that I've ever missed a flight, <laughs> ever, and I've got a lot of flights in my life, um, and yeah, George doesn't let me forget that. Yeah, we were we were both supposed to fly. Into, was it Faro in Portugal? 
Yes. And I ended up flying into... Malaga. Malaga, yeah. Uh, but that was fine because, you know, George came and picked <laughs> me up. <laughs> when picked him up in a different country. <laughs> but what was the premise of that? Remind me, because I think Mercedes-Benz had basically said, right, right, you two, go and grab, what was it, something like 15 or 20 different images in different environments... Uh, and you've yeah, got so a it was a Mercedes-Benz social shoot. Um, for those that know Mercedes, they have a huge social media presence. Um, and that was one of the shoots that they did. They do quite a few like this where they give someone a car and say, go explore. There's a few less of them happening nowadays, obviously. Mm. Uh, even pre-COVID, they weren't doing quite as many. But this was sort of in the heyday when they just give you an AMG and say, <laughs> look, pick the car up from here, drop it back off here and uh, take as many pictures as you can basically um, a good one that I did as well was from Portugal and they said just drive it back to Stuttgart for us oh, cool. oh, wow. um, I'm not sure whether I was a transport driver or whether I was a photographer <laughs> on that one, but it was an en- enjoyable trip nonetheless um, through the middle of Spain which was actually quite interesting yeah. um, uh, and I, I do loads of these trips and I do a lot of them just for fun as well. It's not mm-hmm. just about work in my life. Yeah. Um, some of the trips that I've done with you, so there's two standout ones, as I'm sure you'll agree, which are both Team Galag uh, trips. One was the snow tour, one was the desert tour. Yeah. Um, both of them totally ridiculous in different ways. Mm. Uh, the desert tour was a trip around Saudi Arabia, and it's not just a trip round really. It was a was it 3,000 miles? It was wow. close to 3,000 miles, I think, by the time we finished it. Yeah, and, and for anyone listening, thinking, what's Team Galag? I've, I might have heard of it. I don't know what it is. Oh, yeah. It's um, <laughs> So this is a, uh, effectively, it's a, a small group of friends. I say small, it's getting progressively bigger, but it's a, it's a group of friends, um, which is all brought together by um, two brothers, and they're the, the Al Saud family um, from Saudi Arabia. They met uh, both myself and and George, I, I presume, uh, through Gumball at the same time. So if you're familiar, as a, uh, if you're a fan of Gumball 3000, if you've been watching rallies over the years, there'll be a few standout cars, one of them being the Batman Tumblr, um, and the, what was the second one? Batman Tumblr and... The AMG. Oh, yes, the a- AMG. TG3, TG3, as they call it. That's it. Um, so, yeah, in fact, there were two Batmobiles, wasn't there? There was the... There was the Tumblr. There was the Tumblr and, and then the one from the game, which is the current one. Yes, that's right. So if you but if you're familiar with a Gumball Batmobile, this these are the guys that do it. They are <laughs> um they are uh, um, um, you know, we we can say it, they are part of the royal family of Saudi Arabia, which is a, a huge, huge family. Um and they've got kind of the best deal because whilst they are within the royal family, they're kind of not at the not at the top in the sense that they have to behave and be a certain way. They can kind of get away with doing some really cool stuff as well. Mm. But they're also business owners and, you know, they, the, the money that they spend on these wonderful cars is money that they're earning. It's not just a case of they sit there and money comes in from a big holding account and off they go and have some fun. But yeah, these guys have basically assembled following big events like Gumball, a group of people that all love traveling together. And uh, George and I, um, we're so grateful because we're both included in that group of people and every so often they'll throw up a big adventure together. Uh, it started out, as, as you say, as the snow tours, which were effectively a lap around Scandinavia in cars that most definitely should not be driving on ice, but yet are, uh, including things like Batmobiles, GT3 RSs, Ferraris, uh, Sam Moore's and his classic 911, 
um, you know, all the all the kind of cars you would think, what on Ford earth GT. are you doing? Ford GT, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, yeah, for me, I mean, the highlight tour, without any shadow of a doubt, which I think became very obvious to everyone else in Galag, was the, the desert tour for me. I mean, that absolutely blew my mind. To get a behind-the-scenes look at a country that hasn't had any tourism, any tourism, since the late 1970s. We were the first people from the Western world um, I say from the Western world, from, from anywhere else in the world, because we are effectively a group of people from the UK, Germany, Scandinavia, the US, other parts of the Middle East, um, South America, a group of people that ultimately wouldn't really ever know, meet or come across each other if it weren't for the world of cars. <laughs> and we are so in a country that doesn't yet, at this point, at the point that we were there, there was no such thing as a tourist visa. We had... Quite literally, we had the royal family entry. pulling strings. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we were on the Formula E visa. That's right. So that's exactly one-time right. One-time event visa, but they extended it slightly so that we could do this trip. And I think actually, so Saudi Tourism Board was following our trip, that's and right. they were watching it. And I think they saw how positive this was, how much everyone loved it, how much they enjoyed it, and how much of a good thing it was for Saudi Arabia as well, mm. because everything we saw about Saudi was positive. Mm. I don't think we saw a single negative thing in the entire time we were there. Mm. And we weren't held back and not shown stuff. We were driving through, it, well, everywhere, really. Um, and we were on our own at times. And we'd meet people in petrol stations in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And everyone would want to talk to us and everyone was so friendly. Mm. And I sometimes hear people that are negative about Saudi and I just say to them, look, make your own decision once you've been there mm. because it is an incredible place. And personally, I judge a place by the people mm -hmm. uh, and every single person was lovely. Absolutely. I'm sure you'll agree. Absolutely agree. It, it, was a, it, it was slightly mind-bending. And I remember being slightly apprehensive before we left. Um, yeah. I remember having conversations with my family about going and, and a few of them being like, oh, is it safe? You know, that, that, that kind of question came up because yeah, without harping on too much of a history lesson about Saudi Arabia, but effectively in the late 1970s, a new, a new leader and a new regime came in, which essentially shut the borders to everyone else in the world. So Saudi was a thriving country for tourism um, in the 60s and early 70s. Um, you know, I, we have mutual friends. Um, if you listen back to the Caffeine and Machine podcast that we did with Phil McGovern, there's a, there's a big part of that story is about how he grew up in Saudi Arabia because his dad was out there at the time um, on, the, on the hunt for, as I think as he described it, danger money. Um, but that was, you know, the, the world was very much familiar um, with Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabians were familiar with the world coming in and suddenly that all came to a stop. So I, I got the impression at the time that we visited is certainly from the we were so welcomed by both the younger generation that hadn't yet seen Saudi had hadn't yet seen Western people in Saudi Arabia and they were so excited and proud to show off their country because my god it is the most beautiful country. It is absolutely stunning. Um, and the younger generation were really excited to have us there. But then the older generation, many that remember back to those days where the world did visit and it was a bit more of an international community in Saudi Arabia. They were so excited to see that we were there as well. And it was just, it was very, very humbling. And, you know, global politics aside, of course, there are going to be certain aspects of 
the political side of Saudi Arabia that don't quite match up to the rest of the world at the moment. It's going to take a few years for things to balance out, but the country has come along leaps and bounds in the past few years with things like uh, better equality for uh, both sexes, um, you know, women driving, that sort of stuff. It sounds bizarre almost to a lot of people when you have to say that sort of stuff and bring that sort of stuff up. But again, what you have to remember is this is a, this is a country that ultimately has been detached from the rest of the world for a pretty seriously long amount, you know, a long time. Um, and yeah, we were so privileged. We were ultimately, as you say, George, we were the, a test in a way to see if this works. And I think it was within six months or so of us departing from Saudi, once we had done our tour, and once that first Formula E in Saudi Arabia had taken place, that tourism visa started opening up. And whilst we can't travel there right now, because we can't travel anywhere at the moment, um, when, the, when the world does resume to normality again and we can all get on a plane and go and travel, Saudi Arabia is on the list of places that we as avid explorers and adventurers can now go to. And it's amazing. I can't stress enough just how beautiful it was. It was like a film set from start mm. to finish, wasn't it? Wow. Yeah, it really was, especially the empty quarter. So the empty quarter is the largest sand desert in the world. And we just drove into it for three days. Yeah, <laughs> Incredible. I remember the description of it. It's called the empty quarter because nothing lives here. Nothing survives here. It's, And I, I remember at one point, um, I can't remember who it was, whether it was one of our guides that we had taking us into the desert or, or one of our hosts that said, the one thing you'll notice when you get to the empty quarter, if you look up in the skies, you see no planes. And the reason for that is because it is so vast that if you're on an aircraft and you run into trouble and you have to go down and make an emergency landing or a crash landing, it is actually safer and easier to be found if you crash in the middle of the ocean than it is if you crash in the middle of a desert, which blows my mind. Wow. But of course, when you think about it, you know, in the, in the middle of the sea, you can just sail to different areas. It might take a day or two to get there, but you can get on a boat and sail there or fly over and monitor it and then fly back to the nearest bit of land that you know where it is. Whereas in the empty quarter, because it's so vast, you just don't have that option of stopping and breaking down. And I don't think any of us really gave that much consideration to how remote we were at times when we thought, oh, blimey, if something actually goes wrong here, if we decide to do, as we were doing, backflips, black backflips off of sand dunes and one of us decides to break our leg, we could have been in a, you know, a bit of a tight spot. Um, but hey, there we were doing it. And uh, yeah, what an incredible adventure that was. Is this the same yeah. adventure, I won't go into, the, into any more unless you want to, about the story of the goat? It is that. It, it is that adventure. Uh, yes, right. which is what John for a goat. Yeah. Let's not go into that. <laughs> there's a, that, there's a, another story uh, for, um, for another time, for sure, which is... Probably, probably best told not on a pub, not on a public podcast. But if anyone spots me anywhere and says, "What's that goat story?" I will tell you. you, you yeah, you have to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, just listening to this, this sounds incredible. And I mean, the one thing I know about being a you know calf dog it, is it does give you the ability to travel and see things you would never have been able to see or do before, as you've just explained. What are other than than that trip? Are there any other trips that really stand out for you? Thinking. Wow, this is a big, big time. Yeah, there is one in particular. Uh, or okay, I'll, I'll name two. Okay. So one was the beginning of 2020. In fact, January the first, mm. where with a friend of mine, we got in my exige, and we drove through the night, and we drove all the way through the snow uh, to the Dolomites oh, to nice. see a chap called Power Slide Lover, mm -hmm. and. We got there and A, we're having a lot of fun in the Exige anyway. Um, but we go to a place called Paso Jao. We meet Power Slide Lover there. He's got his Ferrari SP2 Monza there on winter tyres. <laughs> and 
I know him quite well. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, I've known him for a few years now. And he just throws me the key and says, you try it now. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. what? <laughs> so he took my Lotus home and I took the Monza for a little drive and then went back to his house. <laughs> and it was just the most surreal day. Uh, and that was my first attempt at YouTube, um, which d- did okay. Um, but more to the point, I was having a great time and taking pictures. Uh, so we that trip... We spent a day with that car, and then the next day we drove home. So three days, uh, about 1,500 miles in my car, uh, which is not particularly pleasant in a Lotus. Um, and, yeah, a memory that I'll remember for the rest of my life. That's awesome. So so, so that is one of my favourite trips I've ever done, just for the sheer ridiculousness of it. Um, and then the other one was back when I had a Catron, and I decided to drive it to Croatia. Um, That's a so, long way, yes. Caterham. <laughs> yeah, well, what's funny, it felt a long way on the way there, and then we got there and realised we had to drive back. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it was the drive home wasn't pleasant because on the way there we spent about a week and a half, two weeks driving, mm-hmm. uh, and I did two shoots on the way. So I went to the Bugatti factory on the way and shot shot the Sport sport Gran Turismo concept Mm. car. Um, So that was a really cool way to split up the journey. Then I went to Powerslide Lover, shot his LaFerrari and a few other cars and had fun in his real cars. And then got back in the Catrum, drove all the way down into Croatia. Um, And that coast road in Croatia, if you've done it, is one of the best roads in the world. Again, it seems to be... I know that certainly within the past few years, more and more people are, are discovering it, but Croatia as a country to go driving in is absolutely sensational. Some of the most incredible scenic roads. They've got um, you know, their version of the Lake District, but it's just 25 billion times more scenic than ours because <laughs> the water is either crystal clear or almost like a fluorescent blue because wow. it's so it's so calcium rich it's just absolutely stunning yeah that corner that corner of europe i think for a lot of people is still yet to be discovered a lot of people especially in the uk will say for a driving holiday let's head to the swiss alps or the south of france or northern italy and all of that's fine because there are they are absolutely incredible places but add a few days to your adventure or if you're feeling you know flush put your car on a transporter and fly yourself down to zagreb and meet the car there and go for a drive it is sensationally beautiful absolutely love it there and in fact, yeah, it was a they're, it was they're a road in trip. northern Spain. Yes, not mm. absolutely right. Yes, northern Spain. Why is this such an undiscovered area? The Pyrenees Mountains. Um, I did a road trip a few years ago with a friend of mine, Ben, for his stag do, and um, best way to do a stag day, stag do ever. We ended up driving to Barcelona, but on the way we went through Andorra and then through the Pyrenees. And again, Andorra. For a lot of people, you say the country Andorra to people, and they're like, I don't even know where that is. But it's a <laughs> tiny, tiny little country, completely landlocked between the borders of France and Spain. And it is as if somebody has trekked out the most beautiful mountains, beautiful fields, valleys, rivers, gorges, you name it, and just gone, right, yeah, we'll have all this bit. France, you can have that lot, and Spain, you can have that lot. And it's like a playground with the most incredible roads where there's hardly anybody on them. And it's a tax haven, so if you decide you want to go and buy a nice bottle of wine or two, it's basically 10 euros. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant, yeah. But yes, you're, you're so right. Northern Spain... What an incredible place to go driving. And yet nobody really talks about it. And it doesn't make any sense. I know it's quite big within the motorbiking community. 
Um, and I think a lot. I think the journey there, either a twenty-four hour drive to get there or a twenty-four hour ferry ride, um, which is just the worst because <laughs> I've done that a couple of times. Um, I don't know if you saw that I drove from Marbella back to England in one hit that's, in the Lotus as well. That's that pretty was strong. A big hit. Yeah. 23 hours driving straight. Yeah. I did something very similar. The things you do to avoid a ferry. (laughs) Do you know, that is exactly it. You're you're exactly right. In fact, I did it again with a few friends. It was following a Gumball trip that ended in Ibiza, which would have been 2014, I think. Um, And yeah, I chose the option of driving back a Mercedes Sprinter van, which is possibly the least exotic (laughs) drive back. But we did that, again, we did that in one hit. uh, But is this just to avoid the ferry? Basically, yeah, yeah, because it's just so boring. I, I don't understand it. Um, it's so much longer as well, the ferry. It you is. You can just keep driving and you're back in 12 hours, roughly, from the top of Spain to Calais. I, I think the most depressing thing, especially if you've been driving around in something particularly fast for a few days or for a week, and then you get on a ferry and you realise that ferry's going 27 miles an hour for 24 <laughs> hours, you think... What on earth are we doing? How can how can this how in the, the modern world in twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one are we at the pinnacle of travel when we're going twenty seven miles an hour on water? <laughs> it's just pathetic. <laughs> now let's talk about your um, let's talk about your cars, George, because you you've alluded to uh, a a particular love for small cars, small British cars. Is that a uh, is that a criteria that needs to be fulfilled for you when it comes to car ownership, or do you aspire towards grown up cars as well? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd say that I just enjoy driving. When I was young, my father had a Caterham 7. Mm. So the moment he sold that, I wanted my own one. Yeah. And I think once you're used to a 500 kilogram sports car, when you get into something heavy, you're just like, this is rubbish. Mm. Um, and the Exige, so... so I owned a Caterham for on and off for a couple of years, um, sold it, bought it back. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, basically the reason that I bought the Lotus after or kind of during um, was that I loved the Caterham so much, but I wanted to be able to drive that experience every single day uh-huh. and therefore having a roof, having a boot, that kind of thing uh, made the Lotus really appeal. But I was a bit stupid at that time and sold my Mercedes estate and kept the Caterham and the Lotus, which with hindsight was not my best decision. (laughs) Um, So yeah, leading on from that, I sold the Caterham off. Um, I do want another one one day. Uh, It will happen. Uh, In fact, I'm borrowing one next week uh, from Caterham. I can't afford one yet. Um, (laughs) But the Lotus has become quite a project. I bought a sensible car again so that I could actually drive something normal day to day. And I've, well, I've done extensive modifications to the Exige to the extent that it's up there as one of the most modified Exiges, I reckon. Oh, unquestionably, <laughs> you've done all sorts. And wasn't there, wasn't there a period where it was about to go pink? Is that still happening or is that, is that on the... Uh... Yeah, no, I, I, it's not going to go pink. Um, it may go another colour one day, uh, but... I'm not in a rush to do anything, and the last year has put stop to quite a few of the plans. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, with the car for financial reasons. Um, so, I, to be totally honest, I'm really happy with the car as it is. Um, 
I've spent stupid amounts of money already. I don't really feel the need to spend much more at the moment. Yeah. Um, I've quite enjoyed this lockdown project of creating a garage for it. So that's that's what I've been busy with. <laughs> um, the, the little things in life. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the Exegis 460 horsepower. It's got various bits picked and choosed off other Exegis, the newer ones. And I'm now making custom parts for them as a little side business uh, to help me through the time at the moment, basically. Brilliant. And let's not. Um, did you say? Did you say 460 horsepower? Yes. In a car that weighs about what is it? 900 kilos? Is it less? No, it's 1150. Okay, so still extremely light. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I've got friends that are heavier than that. I'm sure. <laughs> that is. Um, that, that's that's pretty crazy. Um, what's on the let, let's let's fast forward to the world of fantasy. Um, assuming you're going to be an extremely rich and famous photographer, what are the cars that are on your list as uh, as things you'd like to tick off? Uh, to be honest, so I never want to sell the Exige. Now I've made it so unique to me that that's a car forever, mm-hmm. um, and that fills the proper driver enthusiast kind of car. Um, in terms of cars I've driven. The memorable ones are 458 Speciale. Mm-hmm. I just think it's such a fun car. Um, it's not too fast. Well, as a lot of these modern supercars are now, they're actually too fast to enjoy on the road. Yeah. That is playful. You can slide it around a bit, and it's just it's just awesome fun. Mm-hmm. And to me, a car should be about fun. If I want to go really fast, I'd go and get a race car, surely. Mm-hmm. Um I'd also quite like a race car, but this is... <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's kind of the standout. My dream car ever since I was a kid is a McLaren F1. Uh-huh. Um, I've been lucky enough to have been in a few now. Um, they're as good as I ever expected, if not better, yeah. especially the road car with the induction noise. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's loads of things that I could want, and that answer will change every single day, probably. <laughs> of course. Um but yeah, that's that's speciali. I would be totally happy with. You're so right, actually. And I I had my first experience with a speciali in um, back in Saudi Arabia. I went a year after our desert tour. I went out for a couple of meetings uh, to talk about trying to commercialise uh, trips potentially uh, for driving enthusiasts in Saudi Arabia, which is a little bit on the back burner at the moment. But who knows? It may come back up again in in the future, which is very exciting. And Talal, one of our wonderful hosts, who has a gorgeous I think it's Grigio Grey um, Speciali with a black stripe down the middle. And I, I'd never been that fussed by Ferraris as a brand. And I know a lot of people will be going at home, what? You know, that's crazy. <laughs> but for me, it was never a brand that I looked at or a manufacturer that I looked at um, that would tick off my requirements for what I would want from a car, either as a, a road car or a track day car. For me, my go-to for my everything car will always be a GT3 911 because for me it does everything it's comfortable it's an actual car but at the same time you can be a complete hooligan on the circuit and then I drove a Speciali and went oh right <laughs> there is another one it's just impeccable and I have had a you know a few drives of a non-Speciali version of the 458 which is fine but again I was ne- I didn't ever get out of the car thinking oh my god I need to sell my legs to buy one <laughs> uh, whereas with the Speciali I did yeah they are absolutely incredible so I agree with you I I, I do think that Ferrari, while the brand name is maybe a bit much and yeah, the cars are always brilliant mm, to drive. Yeah. 
and you just can't fault them. It's like Porsche nowadays. They don't make a bad car. Yeah. They, cars, modern cars in general, are so well engineered nowadays and they know exactly what they're doing that you almost can't get a bad car. It's just personal preference. And actually, in, in a way, it's the imperfections that make a car now mm. because too many people are going for this perfection. And this is why I love the Exige so much. Like, you've got to learn to drive it. It's... Uh, and they quite often get bad magazine reviews from journalists because they're actually quite difficult to drive well. Mm. And if you get in it, you'll be like, oh, I can't heel and toe. It's really difficult to drive. It doesn't turn in properly. You have to learn the technique to make it work. And once you've got it, it just clicks and it's amazing. Mm. Mm. That's a nice way so of thinking about it. More cars need to have imperfections. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And, and let's be honest, you know, so many new cars now, as you say, the engineering that goes into new cars is impeccable. But often it makes them so easy to drive. It's 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 there's no event anymore really to mm. driving. You can get into a brand new McLaren is a great example actually. I've been lucky over the past few years uh, to have a, a good relationship with a local McLaren dealer who would often invite me to drive their cars. And you drive them and think, I you know I, I like you George. I do a lot of track day driving. I've done a bit of in car tuition over the years as well, teaching people how to control cars and how to get the feel of a car and you think you could drive this car like an absolute lunatic and something incredible would have to happen for you to crash it like you could you can try to crash the car on occasion so you throw a car into the corner turn in late lift off mid-corner brake or change gear mid-corner which it should destroy your line it should throw the car off you know the way that physics work that should be driving incorrectly and getting it all wrong and yet the cars just seem to piece everything back together so it is nice to hear that there are still manufacturers out there that you can go and buy a car and actually be the driver of it as opposed to having 50,000 sensors constantly analyzing everything you do and how how much moisture there is in the air to predict if if it might rain in five minutes so we have to turn on the air con- uh, the, the the traction control to a different setting and it's just it's so, very yeah see i find that interesting because i think it's a good thing that the manufacturers make those cars because mm. Not everyone wants to be throwing a car sideways and being a hooligan. True, true. There's a lot of people out there who are, let's be honest, a bit crap at driving. Mm. Um, <laughs> and they can still have a really fun experience in these cars. Yeah. And to me, that's great. And they've made supercars more accessible to people, um, which I think is a good thing, personally. And if you want a hooligan stupid car, there's so many cars out in the world that you can go and buy. Mm. And if you like classic cars, you can go and buy a classic Porsche, that kind of thing. So there's so many cars out there. It's the same discussion for me when people say, oh, I don't like the new Defender. Go and buy an old one. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Yes, yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Amy, Amy's sat on screen furiously nodding her head um, at the moment. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, with all of these, you know, dream cars that you're thinking, you know, I'd love to do this or whatever, what have you got planned for the future? Or is it all completely up in the air, like my own life is, and I think many people who are listening as lives are at the moment. Um, have you got things that you're thinking, I want to be able to achieve this within X amount of time or go somewhere, shoot this? Like, what are your, your, your visions for the future? In all honesty, not really. I've kind of hit reset a little bit mm. this last year and gone you know what if i don't progress with my career the amount i want does it really matter yeah it, it's quite a freeing it happens thought, the way really. it happens yeah yeah I, i'm just a bit i do feel a bit out of control of it mm. 
I'm trying not to stress about it because ultimately it is my job mm-hmm. and I do need to make a living. Um, but there is only so much I can do mm-hmm. and I try and stay as relaxed as I can and distract myself with other silly projects. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, I know exactly how you feel. It's, I think a lot of people are in a similar situation, especially creatives where we're like, oh, I have no idea what's going to happen next. But um, yeah, I think the, the idea of, I don't know about you, but for, for me, I've also felt the same the last year being quite a freeing thought. And you're like, okay, I don't necessarily have to stress as much as I did do at the beginning of lockdown, for example. I'm still here. Things are still ticking over and it's okay. So, uh, yeah, I think from, from a freelance point of view, it's nice to be, able to, to be able to breathe a little bit and still have the mental space to be able to think, okay, what would I like to go forwards doing? And just seeing what opportunities come up, really. Um, yeah. yeah, and I, th- I think I don't know when the commercial world and travel is going to happen. Mm. And I don't feel like it's anything I control at all personally. So it's so out of my control that why would I worry about it? Yep. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I think words. a lot of people have struggled with that mentality. Um, and, you know, that was my, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic and everything looking like it was going to close down. I was running a travel and hospitality company and it was, you know, it couldn't have been a worse industry to be, uh, to be working in. But again, you know, it was, it, I remember saying to my colleagues at the time, saying, you know, ultimately there is nothing we can do here. So there's no point worrying about it. We may as well just focus on what we can, build on what we can and move forward with it whilst we can um, and, and, and see you know, what, what happens with the world. Uh, before we round up i'd like to go back to um back to revisit an area that we were having at the beginning of this podcast because again i i'm thinking so much about the amount of people that i get through instagram direct messages i'm sure you get this all the time george and i know that amy you get this a lot as well so both of you can can feel free to chip into this to give some sort of input and ideas and but what would your advice be to a aspirational photographer um, not necessarily somebody that's young fresh out of school and is a bit lost with what they want to do as a career but this could be for anyone of any age that has always had a passion for, for photography and would like to explore the idea of maybe doing this as a job what would be say your your top tips for them as an individual to pursue that dream I feel like my advice would be quite different different to Amy's. <laughs> well, um, that's great you go so with your, your advice first I, I would say uh, focus on the photography, not the cars, because yep. so many people get caught up in supercars. And I shoot a lot of supercars, but I still have to get the photography right. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get the photography right, then it's irrelevant what car it is. Mm. And anyone from a car manufacturer, a magazine, or whatever, will see straight through the car and see the quality of the photography. Um, so that would be kind of the first most important thing to me. Um, the second thing, I think you've got to be super self-critical. You can't think you're the best in the world. Um, you've got to have a bit of confidence, but you need to be realistic with things, um, and be trying to improve constantly because if you're just going into photography, you're probably not very good. (laughs) Um, I was there. And that's okay. Um, That is okay. That is okay. Yeah, it is. Um, and kind of just try and progress yourself because so many people can't take criticism mm-hmm. and if you can't take criticism 
then good luck with a client because <laughs> some clients are absolutely brutal with their criticism <laughs> yep. and you've got to just accept it uh, and you've got to make your work better for them basically okay. um, my first shoot for Rolls Royce I've never seen a picture with so many scribbles on it um, <laughs> oh really but what, four or five years on with them they don't give me feedback at, with any of the shots because mm. I know exactly what they want so brilliant yeah that's awesome. What's yeah, you, I know, I, I, well, I completely agree. But completely agree with both of those. Um, I mean, I ended up writing a, quite a long blog post about how I try to take pictures of cars and you know, and advice that I that I could give to to other people. But even in that, I say that the way I do things will be completely different to the way that someone else, such as yourself, will will do things. And I mean, like uh, from from my point, is I think a, a bit of advice would be to stay true to what you personally like to shoot in terms of you know the creative process so for me I love natural lighting and the idea of using a flash just scares me more than anything so Mm. I'm just like it's it's for me it's not for me but for for you I think it's a complete other side of your 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 art and your your work so that makes complete sense and for you, you you obviously love that side of creativity and I think people who are listening that might think you know I want to get into the the car photography world just stay true to what your own personal passion is. If it is supercars or classic cars or motorcycles, shooting on film, shooting with, you know, many lights or no lights at all, just as long as you know you like your work, as you said, you can take criticism and, like, listen to what people are saying about your about your work, but don't necessarily take it to heart in a negative way, but take it as a moving forwards um, point of criticism, constructive criticism. Um, yeah, everyone will have an opinion yeah. about you. They won't necessarily be correct, and you need to decide who's correct. Exactly, yeah. and you're like, oh, you're paying my bills, you are correct. And then you're like, you're on the internet on the exactly. other side of the keyboard, you are not. So, yeah, absolutely, I think you're, you're completely correct with that. And it's, it's, it must be difficult, like I, I know it's, it's difficult to be a creative and to have to listen to people's um, opinions on what you produce. And it's very personal quite emotional at times and you just think oh i made a thing and i quite like this thing and these people don't like the thing and it, it gets you in the heart so <laughs> um yeah no i just think yeah to be, as long as you know that you like your work and you're proud of what you're producing crack on and you just try to be the best you can be yeah being true to yourself at the same time so the question that i probably get asked the most is how do you reach clients yes <laughs> and over my 10-year career I could probably still not tell you how. (laughs) Um, I think it's different for everyone. Um, I was on the early days of social media um, in terms of Instagram and Facebook. My Facebook page blew up. Mm. That's now irrelevant Mm. despite having over a million likes. Mm. Um, And (laughs) things change, move with it. Mm. Um, But it's not easy to reach the clients at all. Mm. Um, People don't like a hard sale. Most of the time, they will find you if you're good enough. Yeah. I think that's the hardest truth to try and swallow is sometimes when people come to me and they say, oh, can you have a look at my work and, and tell me how to improve it? I'm really struggling to get clients and I'll look at their work and it's exactly what, what you've just said. You just, that their work is not quite strong enough and you just think you, that's, it's easy to, to see, but it's very difficult to sometimes accept if you're trying to, to get clients and stuff. So I think, yeah, self-evaluation, as you said, is, is probably the most important thing to be able to nail. Whereas, yeah, just trying to get clients if you go and talk to them they will find you if you know you're if you're if you're 
brilliant at what you do and you love what you do, you will get there. So it's just about trying to be the best person you can and work towards those steps. Yeah, all the big shoots I've ever done, they've found me. Yep. It hasn't been the other way around. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I think the one person I really thought oh, I'd quite like to shoot for them, I approached them and they, I just never got an email back. So no. I just I gave up at that point. <laughs> will you tell us one day if they come to you? Would you I will Will do. you reveal who it is? I will reveal who it is. <laughs> come on, Dacia, pick up the phone. Come back to Amy. She really wants to photograph that new Logan. Yes, please. <laughs> um, George, thank you so much for uh, for your time today. It's been great being able to catch up with you i feel like we haven't seen each other for a long time so this has been quite nice even though it's been yeah. through a screen this has been brilliant george thank you so much uh, if you're listening wherever you are in the world whatever time of the day thank you so much for your company as always we would love 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 if you have the time the means and the ability to leave us a quick review uh, it, it means the world to us and a you know, painful world that we live in in which we have to ask for reviews in order to then get noticed by the big algorithm computers that show us to the world and the wider world uh, we already have tens of thousands of listeners, but obviously we want to push that number even higher. So thank you very much for being part of that journey. Thank you very much in advance for sharing this with a friend and for your kind words and reviews that you're about to leave uh, about George, which is, uh, which is the easier way to say it. <laughs> George, thanks so much. Speak to you soon. Cool. Cheers. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details oh wow you've made it to the end the very end and it's john markar here again reminding you that this podcast the driven chat podcast has now run its course and has come to an end to find the new format search the driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.